Well, Radio Pulpit listeners, that is the start of our Friday morning, the discussion uh, regarding the ongoing conversations and rolling discussions between the church and the state. Uh, always interesting listening to um, Foyce as they bring us the state of the nation. Um, I think that there's plenty that you can take away from that discussion and uh, immediate um, uh, issues, uh, immediate responses that you can make. I do want to now take the opportunity uh, to introduce the guest that I have with me today. Um, I'm speaking to John Butterworth. Uh, John Butterworth uh, is an MBE. Um, Now, an MBE, is that a master of the British Empire, a member of the British Empire, or a mega awesome person of the British Empire? I'm going to go with member. Member, you're correct. A member of the British Empire, which, which means you've interacted with Her Majesty the Queen. Correct. Yes, I did go to Buckingham Palace in 2008 to receive my MBA. Now, now the thing is, John, I've met you a couple of times before. <laughs> we, we've interacted. You've come to Crystal Park Baptist Church when I was still there. You joined a, a, a preaching um, a group yes. uh, <clears throat> uh, together with your son, Andrew Butterworth, who's a really close friend of mine, a pastor at God First, uh, East Rand, uh, all-around good guy, happens to be sitting in the studio, so I've got to be careful <laughs> what I say about about him uh, this morning <laughs> but but you and I have engaged a number of times both uh, in that context as well as at Andrew's home you never wore your badge that said MBE so that I could quiz you <laughs> and interact with you and find out a little bit more about that I, I, I kind of feel like I've missed out on a couple of conversations with you <laughs> No, it's a chance this morning to catch up on that. But uh, no, I don't rush around telling everybody about that. I let people find that out. Well, l- let me just say that just because you have an MBA, an MBA, an MBE, that doesn't mean that you get an automatic invite uh, to table talk with Mark. Right. The, the, the reality is that you are also a journalist. Um, you've been a successful newspaper editor, um, and you are a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Correct. And so it's within the context of all of that, how all of that comes to bear, uh, that Andrew uh, suggested that uh, I extend an invite in order to uh, and have you on the show this morning. Um, but as I listened to Andrew and listened to the stories, I realized that there would be plenty to talk about on a Friday morning, uh, plenty to engage about, um, and and uh, I've really been looking forward to chatting to you. So thank you so much for coming in, John. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> well, m- maybe let, let's get started. Um, uh, in terms of the conversation, it's going to center around the person of Jesus Christ yeah. and Jesus in the workplace, Jesus in journalism, yes. and Jesus in, in, in your writings and in the books that you've authored, and you have authored a number of books. Uh, but maybe let's just start off by talking about, about Jesus and your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ yes. as your Lord and your Savior. How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, I was brought up to go to church as a very much a high Anglican church in England, and I didn't find it very exciting, but <laughs> I did go. You've got to be careful what you say. My dad's an Anglican uh, pastor <laughs> slash priest as well, and so we, we don't knock the Anglicans no. uh, on, on the show, live on air. <laughs> no, no. I found God through outside the church. Yeah. I when I was six we went on holiday 
um, to Suffolk and there was a big beach mission and suddenly I joined in and I found Christianity was exciting and it was really geared to all of the children there and that was my first step and then as a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 year old, I went to Crusaders which was a national Bible class Sunday afternoon, again with Bible teaching and fun and games and that was absolute great fun I suddenly realised as I went through life that Christianity was exciting and fun, then I went as a teen, late teenager to a youth group in a tough part of the Potteries in North Staffordshire and there were 200 um, teenagers and their testimonies really hit home to me and that's when I started my Christian journey of realising it was more than just joining in it was actually going out and living your faith I mean you said quite a bit there um, I just think of six-year-olds you know in a, at a beach mission mm. uh, we we as a church have got a vacation bible club which is coming up in uh, in a couple of months time yes. and and adults are busy signing up and and joining uh, as leaders and we're busy going through police police clearance and all of that for yes. various different people that will be involved um I mean, just as you as you think back to those memories, you know, all the way back to being six and being at a beach mission, um, but then it kind of rolls forward to a time when you were a teenager and you were hearing the testimony of other teenagers yes. who had put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, listeners that are that are kind of engaging with us this morning, I'm I'm guessing that most of them. Um, will be adults. Uh, there might be a couple of kids because it is school holidays, so they might be uh, might be around while the radio is on. But but I imagine that there's a number of moms that are doing housework. There's a number of um, folk that are out to work, whether they be moms or dads. Uh, there's a couple of dads in cars driving around. So, listener, wherever you are, just just note the testimony um, of faith as it comes, even to very young children, and the fact that it's a journey. It's not a it, it wasn't a, a once-off event, yeah. but but rather exposure first to Christianity and then to Christians mm. uh, and then personal saving faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Yeah. Uh, you, you spoke about a youth group of 200. Yes. Um, I, I mean, I, I think of, you know, youth groups around our city and, and we're going through a period where you're not seeing that much um of large gatherings of uh, of young adults or of kids uh, at the moment. What what was that like? Um, and, and when are we talking chronology? Yes. Uh, in, I mean, what year are we talking We're about? We're talking about the end of the 1960s, early 1970s. Yes. And um, it was interesting because these were many, many teenagers from tough backgrounds. Yeah. But to hear how their life had been changed... But we had discussions, we did projects, it was fun, we went out, we socialised, it was the whole mix, and that's what I thoroughly enjoyed. And suddenly, you had so many friends, so many Christian friends, so many different meetings and appointments to go to and meet them and work together. We, we helped uh, convert an old Methodist church up in North Staffordshire to turn it into a holiday place. So we did a lot of social projects, preaching the gospel in the park. There was so much. It really was all aspects of life, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. 
you know, the 1960s, uh, I'm guessing to the 2020s, like life has changed, the world has changed. It certainly has. But kids are still kids, right? And yes. kids still need Jesus. Yes. Um, and so maybe just an encouragement to parents that are listening in, get your children linked in and hooked in to a youth group um, to some kind of Christian organization where they can be exposed to other believers that are their own age and other people who are dedicated uh, to children to children's ministry definitely so, so your relationship with Jesus Christ how did it develop from there from your teen years yes well after um my teenage years I ended up going into journalism but I had no no plans to go into newspapers I'm not one of those people who'd been writing since I was seven eight nine I was all set to go to university and it all started in a failure because I did my A-levels my school exams when I was 18 at Newcastle High School in North Staffordshire and I did languages and I failed all three and I'd never failed anything in my life before. And I thought, what on earth is the point of this? So I went back to do a third year in the sixth form and it changed my life. Firstly, instead of going to Birmingham University to do social studies, I ended up going on the Daily Mirror training scheme to do journalism. And I did that for the next 44 years, 28 years of which I was newspaper editor. But even more importantly, in that third year sixth, I started going out with a girl from the adjacent girls grammar school and uh, this July Jan and I celebrate 46 years of marriage so it was a year that transformed my life but it started with a failure <laughs> you've been married for 46 years yes. <laughs> that, that kind of warms my heart I, I, I've been married for precisely half the amount of years that you've been married I've been married newly married yeah tw 23 years you yeah, are newly married 23 yes. years and enjoying it, it it's yes. been it's been more better than than worse uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm married to a I keep telling my wife four years to gold four years, <laughs> four years to, to gold. our golden wedding oh, anniversary oh, well the ha hats, yeah. hats off to her for uh, yeah. for for enduring yes. enduring you for 44 46 <laughs> years yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so so John uh, I mean you 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 meet a you, you you meet a girl but very importantly out of out of failure uh, you find a new path uh, and and you know very relevant i think to many people who might be listening in mm. um uh, education is a struggle in our country um, very seldom do people get into the particular um, courses that they might have set their hearts on when they were six or ten years old um, very very seldom does that happen um, but the reality is God can use um, whatever pathway he puts us on to glorify himself in in our lives definitely and for you it, it was a change from studying three languages what, what three languages because it wasn't English Afrikaans <laughs> and Zulu you will <laughs> laugh when I say this yeah. it was French German and Latin French German <laughs> and Latin Okay. Yes. <laughs> that, that, yeah. um, okay. Incredible. Uh, and so you move into journalism. You just you 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 start to go through. You said the daily. Yes, there were eight of us who started each year. The Daily Mirror took on eight trainees. Um, and train them up to be journalists. And I don't know, is the apprenticeship 
the BBC programme The Apprentice still in South Africa I don't, or not? I don't think so. No, I, right. I think that might have moved anyway, on. Anyway, <laughs> the apprenticeship scheme, they weren't very popular in Britain in the 1960s and 70s, but they're coming back into fashion, i.e. that you learn the job you learn your journalism on the job yeah. and not in the university lecture room. And literally, I had uh, three months uh, in a lecture room doing shorthand law, local government with the seven others, and then we were put on newspapers for four days a week, one day a week back in the classroom. And that was the best way to learn journalism. You learnt it on the job from older journalists and you learnt from your mistakes, but it was the best training out. I think it's a great way to train people. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm involved with an organization up in Polakwane, and when I say involved, I, I mean in terms of supporting and, and sending men there uh, that train pastors, and they do 10 days on-site uh, at the seminary and then 20 days off-site uh, at a local church where mm. they're putting into practice the kinds of things that they're learning. And uh, I'm always very jealous of those men because they, they come at, out at the end of three years or four years uh, with an honors uh, degree, um, but they also come out with four years of of actual work experience it's a it's a great way to get a theological education Definitely. and so yeah very in fan of uh, apprenticeships myself so john you, you you're doing this apprenticeship um at this stage you're a believer your faith and your trust is in jesus christ as your lord and your savior what does it look like being a a young journalist who's also Christian in the workplace yes it it was tough I'll give you one story there were um eight eight of us on the course and obviously they soon found out I was a Christian one of them Steve Sampson we called him Steve Scoop Steve he was a real public school Del Boy if you understand what that is from only fools and horses Del Boy I, I can remember he, fools and horses that's right and he said to me very early on he said Butters if you're going to make it in journalism you're going to have to give up this godlark <laughs> and I still look back 44 years later and say I didn't give up this godlark but I did make it in journalism thanks to God Oh man, there there is a, I mean, there's different types of um, pressure that we experience as believers in the workplace. Mm. And I haven't always been a pastor, although I guess I also experience even as a pastor pressures in the workplace. Mm. Um, but but I haven't always been a pastor. I was in IT, uh, information technology, and mm. and worked uh, in corporate for a number of years before going full time into the ministry. Uh, and I remember the kinds of pressure that we experience so whether it's friends saying give up this god lock this uh, <laughs> yeah. you know this the this 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 time that you're spending with god in in favor of just you know getting into into real life and yeah. and being a real journalist or whatever yeah. um, yes. but but there is pressure that we experience as as believers uh, of christ what, what what fuels our faith in in the faith in the face of of that kind of pressure Yes, it's interesting because um, f during the week I was in journalism and the pressures of that and particularly one of the other pressures was it's the days of long lunch breaks so there were three hour lunch breaks What? Yes, those were the days of journalism <laughs> Hang on, and wait a minute, I'm in the wrong field A three <laughs> hour lunch doesn't break happen It's now. like a midday siesta yes. I mean, yeah It was a different era and 
it was you still had to keep your faith and still socialize so that was a challenge sure. but i was backed up because i uh, lived firstly in the ymca and then i uh, was in digs with two christian doctors home from nepal um, David and Beryl, both Christian doctors and their three children and I lived with them and so I had the Christian background at home to go back to and also we're involved, all of us at St Andrew's Plymouth which is an Anglican, big Anglican church by the Plymouth Hoe so we went to the church obviously but on Sunday mornings I helped at Pathfinders which was um, 10 to 14 year olds and then in the evening helped at the youth group for 14 to 18 year olds and so I, I had as a root in the Christian faith through the people I lived with and through the church I attended to give me the strength to go out into the world and uh, one quick yeah. story about Shit. the um, Plymouth College uh, sorry what about the Pathfinders was the headmaster of Plymouth College the boys boarding school insisted his uh, teenage boys went to school went to church on Sunday so he gave them the choice to go to the matin service at St Andrews at 11 o'clock or instead go to the fun Bible Pathfinders class <laughs> in the church hall next to St Andrews the result was naught 164 <laughs> they all came to us including one 14 year old boy called Michael Ball who went on to become the West End singing star wow. and he's very famous in England <laughs> so yes you say a couple of things that I want to underline Please. and highlight because as a pastor I think God has um, given you a path which was very healthy. Um, there were a couple of things that kept you on the straight and narrow, if I've understood mm. your testimony mm. correctly. Um, number one was you were in close association with other believers. You mentioned people that you were living with um, and praise the Lord for other Christian believers, both in our workplace that we can connect to um, as well as socially that, that, can, that can encourage us uh, to continue and remain focused on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. The second thing that you, that you mentioned was regular church attendance and um, the reality is just like a coal taken out of a fire uh, getting placed uh, far away from the heat is is you know apt to go cold and um, fairly fairly quickly uh, those who remove themselves from the congregational meeting the people of God um, and even more importantly the weekly attendance uh, on the Lord's Day and yes. um, put themselves in very dangerous places and then the third thing that you mentioned was Christian service um, mm -hmm. for you it was involved with uh, with with kids with teenagers uh, with the folk that were coming from St. Andrews uh, to Pathfinders but but Christian service and serving God in whatever mm -hmm. capacity or vocation mm -hmm. he's given us uh, is a really important part of staying fired up uh, for the Lord Lord Jesus yes. uh, in the midst of the difficulties that we face in the world and in in the midst of the call that the world will make for us mm -hmm. to to divert our attention to to shift our gaze away from him uh, and so you know just just for those who are listening in maybe an opportunity for you to evaluate and to think about your own life um who is the company that you are keeping uh, are you keeping regular fellowship and uh, uh, regular participation with other believers uh, number two are you attending a, a church getting together for the preaching of god's word and to see the ordinances 
um, uh, kept and to be under the discipline and instruction of a local community uh, and number three friends are, are you involved in Christian service if you're answering no to any of those can I encourage you to speak to a local pastor uh, and get connected uh, to a local church that you might glorify God uh, in your life John an MBE comes um, through years and years of dedicated service. My understanding is that yours came specifically um, through um, your uh, involvement uh, in, with a number of organizations raising support uh, for organizations and your work in journalism and how you utilized uh, both of those um, mechanisms um, for the advancement of the kingdom and by the kingdom I, I really mean that your motivation was the kingdom with a capital K um, but it turned out uh, that uh, you were acknowledged uh, by the queen of, of a kingdom called yes. England um, uh, in the second part of the show we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of that work uh, some of the things that you have done and some of the the stories that you have seen happen before your eyes and that you have captured uh, in in books what we are going to do now though uh, is go to a song break we're going to listen to Mandisa singing Born for This uh, Esther's song and afterwards come back and continue our discussion with John Butterworth well friends it is good to be with you for the second hour of our table talk show this morning we are speaking to John Butterworth who is an MBE of the British Empire um, specifically for uh, journalism and uh, uh, been involved in raising support we're going to be talking about that in the second hour of the show a, a question just shot in from a listener Teresa who's listening uh, live on air he asked the question via whatsapp what are the main differences between secular journalism and Christian journalism but in actual fact John your role has been a Christian in the context of secular journalism Yes, definitely on that. I, I think it is possibly harder, but you'd expect me to say that, to be a Christian in secular journalism because there's all the pressures of the world. Um, but basically, you're as a Christian journalist, you're still doing the same job whether you're working in secular journalism or Christian journalism. You're still using your professional experience to produce the, the best work you can and to, to write the story. So I think there is a lot of similarities. It's just possibly in the secular journalism, there's a lot more outward pressures on you. Yes. I've experienced being a Christian in the workplace and experienced those kinds of pressures. It's not easy. And yet I've also experienced being a Christian within the pastorate. And the reality is work is work. There's pressures, never mind where you go in life. Uh, Teresa had an additional question, although it's not quite relevant um, uh, to yourself in that you were in se a Christian in secular journalism. Um, but he, he had a second question regarding um, believers um, and belief around Christian document uh, documentaries that have been coming up and he mentions especially Hillsong Exposed uh, which is on Discovery uh, Plus and, and just a comment regarding it not being good for the body as there's an apparent 
divide. Uh, please share your thoughts, seeing that this is somewhat related to journalism. M- maybe just to say, um, I don't know if you've watched the documentary Hillsong Exposed, John? No, I haven't. I'm not, so I'm not going to ask John to answer that. Uh, I actually started watching it yesterday morning. I, I, I spent <laughs> my, uh, when I woke up, it, it came, it popped up on my screen and uh, I started watching it. Uh, very, very well produced, got to say. Excellently produced and uh, have been interested by listening to some of the stories that are being presented. I, I've only gotten, say, halfway through the first of of three hours worth of documentary. So uh, I can't really comment uh, this week on it, but maybe we'll have a conversation uh, next week. Uh, uh, thanks for highlighting that, Teresa. In terms of where we left off the conversation in the previous hour of the show, we were talking about um, you as a young journalist, journalist friends attending St. Andrews, uh, involved with Pathfinders. What does the Christian walk look like after you are a young adult, uh, come to faith, serving in your local church? What does what the rest of a Christian journey look like 46 years later? Yes, I'll start with the St. Andrews. And just to say, that journey, I was encouraged starting out on that journey. I was very impressed that the church we went to, the vicar and his wife invited many people around for Sunday lunch because it was a university city and many people had left home to start uh, a new course or a new job so it was an important time in their Christian life and there were so many people who were there to help us and welcome us into their homes mm-hmm. David and Beryl I mentioned the doctors but John and June the vicar and his wife and there were others in the church who welcomed students I think that's very important to welcome the young Christians as they start out in their life it is such an important time it can either make or break your faith but thankfully the church was there to older Christians to actually encourage and support us. You know the church that I serve is down the road from the University of Pretoria we literally have hundreds Mm. of young adults that are in first second third all the way up to seventh year of medical studies um, in the church and in the church context and and just to repeat what you're saying I do believe that we who are older believers whether we are uh, 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 old I'm, uh, I've got to use these the, the, when I say older I'm, I'm adding myself into that category um, but but we as older believers bear some responsibility or some opportunity for Christian service by yes. even just relating and interacting with young adults who are Christians um, inviting them over to our homes having lunch together with them and then talking about the kinds of things that we've experienced whether it be the first years of marriage or courtship or you know entering into the working environment and finding our feet there uh, those kinds of stories young Christians want to hear they, they want to hear how they are going to traverse yes. the next couple of years of their lives and so um, listeners as you as you listen in if you are a young adult can I encourage you to connect with uh, some older believers um, for the sake of your soul the, the reality is discipleship is hard baked uh, into what we do as Christians it's the 
great commission. We're to make disciples. And so you are to be discipled, young Christian. Find someone who can disciple you. Reach out to them. Um, ask <laughs> uh, if you can be invited over to Sunday lunch. And older Christian, uh, you have a command from the Lord Jesus Christ to disciple believers. Uh, and so reach out to those around you in your sphere of, inf- in your sphere of influence uh, that you can engage with them um, and disciple them and talk about life and do life together. In in terms of in terms of church, what does that look like? I, I mean, uh, you spoke about the 1960s and the 1970s and kind of coming into the church gradually and slowly as a as a teenager. Um, you, you're still a church, uh, a member of a local church today. So many years later, how have you seen the church change? What, what do you what what are the kinds of service uh, that you do in a local community church uh, today? I, I'm guessing that you're not running around with the kids on a Friday night uh, in Pathfinders <laughs> anymore. No, that, that <laughs> is true. I have moved on in that sense. I have got older, and um, I have now involved in the Anglican Church. I've been a reader or a lay preacher for the last 30 years, so I'm very much involved in a teaching role, but for many years um, we've been involved in hospitality. Jan and I were very keen on inviting overseas students over for Christmas, so they would join us because we felt that was a lonely time for them in a new country, studying many, many miles from home. So we were very much involved in inviting them to the home. I'm more involved now because it the well, you ask for the changes in the church, and I think one of the things is there's not so many young people coming to the churches as there used to be Mm. and that is a sad thing so very much i think we need to go more out into the world and to evangelize and tell the christian story and one of the other things i do is that i go out and give talks to rotary clubs, probus clubs, WIs, um, ladies groups, history groups, and I have a number of talks I give, but I also, in all those talks, include some Christian stories and then allow them, if they're interested, to buy Christian books for cost price at the end. So I feel I'm also getting the the word of God out into the world because the world's not coming to the church, so we need to go more out into the world. So John, I, I love the, what you've just presented right now, because very importantly, you're not an ordained minister, although you are a lay preacher, and we can talk about that a little bit later if you like. Um, you're not an ordained minister, but the bottom line is you do see yourself as, as part of the solution to the present difficulties that the church is experiencing in terms of um, uh, not seeing as many young people passing through its door. And obviously you're talking about the church uh, in the UK. Yeah. Hi, however, I, I think we're seeing the similar kinds of decline uh, in South Africa in many sectors. Um, uh, but you see yourself as part of the solution and you're actually being tangible in terms of the kinds of solutions that you're bringing. So you're going out, you, you're talking about Jesus where you can, uh, and you're putting the gospel uh, and Christ on display in your spheres of influence, which then translates to anybody who's listening in 
this morning, whether they are a pastor, whether they are a lay leader, or whether they are a member of a church, in whichever sphere God has given to you, you get to exercise whatever influence he has given um, to really stake the banner of Christ uh, down into the ground and, and be a city set on the hill. Um, for, for, for Christ. It's your responsibility to evangelize and take this message of the gospel into the world. Uh, and you do it in, in, in inventive ways. Uh, you do it by, by, by speaking at, uh, at groups and then by selling books at cost price. Um, but others will do it in other ways. But, but sure. the onus is on us to find out how we can share the good news of Jesus Christ in the world. Yes, I agree. And also, as you get older, so the ages change. And you're absolutely right. I don't run around with the teenagers <laughs> now on a Friday. I'm much, much older than that. But it's interesting looking back on your life and different things. When we were very uh, newly married, uh, we ran a youth group in our home in Blackburn in the 1980s. And again, the young people didn't go to church but what we did was we brought them into our home we had games but we also had bible discussions so yes there is a time and a season in our lives for different ministries john maybe just talk about um about the mbe specifically now yes. so we're talking yep. about a member of the british empire yep um, but does that mean that I have to call you sir? <laughs> no, I'm not that. I'm not that highly. Uh, no, yeah, there are people who be, be, who are knighted, and um, yes, they get a much higher honour. But no, uh, being a member of the British Empire was a reflection of the charity work. Newspapers are in a brilliant position that we're based in the community and we take a lot of money out of the community in advertising but it's good that newspapers put back into communities and when i was editor particularly in bromsgrove and droitwich in the midlands and in shrewsbury and north shropshire in the west midlands northwest midlands we used to do every year a charity appeal we challenged the readers during that year to raise money for a specific project it had to be something they could see like medical equipment or a vehicle for the hospice mm. and I gave a page a week to the charity and a reporter assigned to that charity to produce a page a week of all what was happening because I worked on the basis that wealthy people like to be seen to be given money and they love their pictures in the paper. Anyway, it worked to treat. <laughs> By December, we had our target and we had for the Christmas edition, happy picture of kind-hearted readers have raised the money for the hospice or the hospice and there it was, a happy Christmas story of what had been achieved. All that helped in... Um, me being recognised as the editor but it's also the team of journalists with me really who should get the award for the MBE for services to journalism and charity because we put back into the community I mean it sounds like such a, a relatively simple thing right mm -hmm. um, uh, doing good in the community mm -hmm. connecting mm -hmm. your organisation to doing good yep. um, and then and then raising support for a for a noble cause mm -hmm. what are some of the causes that that you were involved in yes. you mentioned the hospice you mentioned medical equipment yes that's right um the um the big one we did was um we raised money 
for Macmillan for the having a new uh, cancer unit at the Royal Shrewsbury Hospital and uh, that was about three million pounds and three things that made me smile as you asked me about that question is some of the things we did. I did a walk uh, in the Sahara Desert with 70 others to actually raise money. I was a sponsored walk through the Sahara Desert in southern Morocco to help raise money for our charity appeal. That was one thing I did. And then the other, there is a very famous train, like the blue train in South Africa, um, called the Orient Express in England. Wasn't there a really famous murder that had... I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> I, I, I've <laughs> read the Agatha Christie novel. They came to Birmingham um, for an evening meal and I persuaded the Orient Express to have a lunch meal in around the Shropshire so I sold all the tickets on the train to readers of the Shrewsbury Chronicle to come on the Orient Express for an afternoon and a lunch an afternoon travelling through the Shropshire countryside Wow! and then I wrote a play for the uh, Shrewsbury Festival um, and I dressed up as the first editor of the Shrewsbury Chronicle because the Shrewsbury Chronicle started in 1772 so I dressed up as Thomas Wood the character who was an absolute character and the uh, chief executive of the council dressed up as uh, Thomas Lonsdale who was the uh, chief executive of the council at the time in 1772 so we wrote a play partly true about rebuilding a historic bridge in Shrewsbury called the English Bridge I, I mean incredible mm. and very inventive uh, mechanisms for, yes. for for raising for raising funds yes it and, was a fun and way. worthy causes I wanted to be a fun way to raise funds all the time yes let's uh, let's now talk about some of the books that you've written yes. you, you've so, written five books five books that's right five books yes. what have been the kind of the predominant uh, content and character of the books that yes. you've written generally speaking it is about christians and what they've achieved so i've i've helped um bring people's testimony into the public eye through books again this story started with with failure but um 2008 I had my best year in journalism 2000 in January we had our highest circulation for 25 years in May 2008 I was awarded the MBE in December 2008 we were voted the third best weekly paper in the country wow. in February 2009 I was made redundant <laughs> they were turning the fourth oldest weekly paid for paper into a free paper yeah. in their wisdom I fought it, I knew I was going to lose, the end was brutal, I was kicked out, but I managed to get a very good payoff. So I should tell you that I'm a stamp collector by background, and as a stamp collector as a teenager, I became very interested in China and Albania. I said to my parents, I'd love to go there. They said, you'll never make it. But I did make it to China in the first ever exchange of newspaper editors in 1986, move forward to 2009 after being made redundant I wrote to six charities and said well I've been well paid do you want me to do any writing for nothing five said 
sorry, I haven't got anything. But the six said, yes, would you like to come out with us on a trip? I said, where are you going? They said, Albania. I said, count me in. So I went in May 2009 and I met Bertie Dosty. Bertie Dosty is an amazing person. He was a captain in Enver Hodger's army. If you remember, Enver Hodger was a terrible dictator who ruled Albania from the end of the Second World War right the way through to the 1980s. He ruled it with a rod of iron. He closed the borders to the rest of the world because he didn't trust anybody, particularly hated the West. Anybody listening to Western music, Western fashion, or anything to do with the West was immediately sent out to be re-educated in the field. Particularly hated the church. He closed all the churches and 90, 85% were knocked down. The ones that were remained were used as granaries. He even used the cathedral at Skopje as a volleyball court because he mm. said it was useless as a cathedral. And he, all the pastors and priests either fled, martyred or imprisoned. He banned Ari in schools. He even changed, banned Christian names so you weren't even allowed to call your children after a Christian name. You had to use a name invented by Hodger, one like Maringlen, which was short for Marx, Engels and Lenin, to give you a political flavour. He built a museum of atheism in the capital of Tirana to tell the people there is no God. And in 1967, he hit the world headlines when he said, I've abolished God, I've made Albania the world's first atheistic state. But that galvanised a group of Christians in Rottenstall, Lancashire, who decided to send in a 15-minute program a night to Monte Carlo where Transworld Radio beamed it in for 23 years not knowing if anyone was listening. Captain Dosti who won the third highest military medal in Albania was an expert in signals and radio. His job under Enver Hodger was to scan the world's airways because Hodger feared in the 1940s, 50s, 60s and 70s three countries were going to invade his country. America, Russia and Britain. But he never found an enemy signal, did Bertie Dusty. <laughs> but one night he stumbled across this Christian radio station. He said, only caught one sentence. If you want to find out more about God, listen tomorrow night. Bertie said, don't be ridiculous. I'm a communist. Envoge is our God. Besides, if I'm caught listening to Western radio, I'll be in big trouble. Something made him listen. He can't tell you to this day why he listened. But he did listen secretly to that radio programme every night. And when Ka Enver Hodger died, Captain Dosti, the communist atheist, became Pastor Dosti of a newly revived church, which had survived underground and has made huge um, gains and grown enormously. And he also was principal of a school to encourage the young Albanian children to stay in Albania rather than flee, as many did when Enver Hodger died, to countries like Italy. And so I came back, and as a journalist, I thought, that's a good book. <laughs> so uh took one phone call, one that, email. Uh, that is a good book, John. Yes. I mean, I'm like listening to the story. <laughs> that's a fantastic book. <laughs> you, you, you've got a man that's a communist <laughs> yes. in a communist country. Yeah. He he kind of scans the airways. Yeah. He, yes. he hears, yeah. uh, you know, listen tomorrow to find out more about God. And yes. then he, he, get, he yes. gets hooked. He learns about Jesus. He becomes a pastor. It's very biblical because... Enver Hodger closed the borders and if you remember the story of the Mark of the 
uh, friends coming to Jesus. They brought their friend on a stretcher. They couldn't go through the walls because the crowds were there. So Mm. they went on the roof and came in from the sky and came to bring their friend to Jesus. Enver Hodger closed the borders, but he couldn't close the skies. And Christian Radio brought the gospel to Albania. Amen. Just amazing uh, a the power of radio mm. I, I mean I, look I'm convinced <laughs> radio radio is a is a fantastic medium I've been listening to talk radio my whole life uh, my dad used to have uh, the radio on in the car as we were driving to uh, to school we'd listen to the news headlines uh, we'd listen to talk radio kind of um, folk giving commentary about what was going I've always enjoyed radio as a as an adult I've always tuned into talk radio um, and now getting involved in radio I, I love radio but I, I think of organizations such as Trans World Radio TWR mm. and the work that they do to to get the word of God and yes. sound solid biblical content uh, into uh, into nations that are otherwise closed I, I think of even this story of, of using radio and the airways mm. um, and, and the way that God uses this to draw a man to himself uh, just I love the power of God yeah. <laughs> and I love to year of the power of God through the the power of the airwaves a lovely story when you think the gospel is to be preached to all nations yes Christian radio is making a huge impact on that command of Jesus oh well praise praise God for Christian radio and um, so so the book's title is God's secret listener the Albanian army captain who risked everything by John Butterworth with a forward by Stephen uh, Gork Kruger. Gork Roger. He Gork was a Roger. big Baptist <laughs> and he's a Baptist, now retired, but he's a Baptist minister in England of a big Baptist church in Buckinghamshire and also an international speaker. He would speak at the Christian holidays that we had like spring harvest, but he was an international speaker. Excellent. John, maybe, maybe just tell me a little bit about that because now... I'm intrigued. Um, so your forward is written by a Baptist pastor. Yes. How, how do how do Christians um, engage and interact across denominational lines uh, in England? Um, is there healthy interactions and engagement uh, between denominations? That there is, uh, particularly. And um, one of the things we used to go, and we used to go with the family every Easter we'd go to Spring Harvest and that is where 3,000 Christians would meet every week every, for a week and it was at Butlins of all places and it was at Butlins of all places and um, 3,000 Christians from all backgrounds came to Spring Harvest it was a fun week because we could use the Butlins pool and there were seminars during the day and worship in the evening mm. and it did a great job in bringing Christians from all different denominations back together and to worship God and I think it had a huge impact and that is where I met Steve Gork Roger any pastors listening in right now just the the power of the the body of Christ the body yes. with the capital of B uh, in terms of our own personal witness and engagement with one another um, for the sake of the cross and for the sake of the gospel mm. um, so important now 
Now we've spoken about the first book that you read um, uh, regarding this uh, this captain uh, in uh, yes, in Captain Dusty, yes, Captain Dusty in Albania, uh, and and I want to highlight something uh, for those that are listening in. You took what was a secular career, a career in journalism. You were a Christian in secular journalism. You, you were a Christian throughout all of those years as a journalist, and yep. so we've spoken about that a little bit. But post your career and uh, and and outside of your career, you used the gifts and the talents which God had given you, the opportunities in life that God had had given you, and um, you used them for the extension of the kingdom. Uh, you were a writer, you were a trained writer. You know the who, what, where, when, why, and hows better than anyone else, and and you used these skills um, in order to to write. Uh, Christian testimonies really yes. in, in book form yes. um, and, and just to maybe just also encourage the listeners again those of you who are involved in whatever industry um, give some thought uh, to how God can use the kinds of talents and skills which he has sovereignly developed in you and given to you uh, by his Holy Spirit give some thought about how you can use whatever God has given you to God's praise and glory now sometimes for some of you that might mean you using the um, the the wealth that God has given you um, to his praise and glory uh, for some of you that might mean using the skills that he has given you to his praise and glory the time uh, you were talking about you know a, a major setback being made redundant but mm. in reality all of a sudden you had time in your hands mm. um, it might be using the time that God has, has given you the talents that God has given you the testimony that God has given you whatever God has given you um, use it to his praise and glory uh, you didn't just stop at one book uh, you've written a number <laughs> of books so so maybe we can just carry on the conversation and, and talk about other stories uh, that you've spent time yes I'll move on and say that I went to a conference Christian conference uh, for two days didn't know anybody and during the first day I met a complete stranger came up to me and I mentioned I was a journalist next day he came to find me he said would you like to rewrite the manuscript of an elderly lady whose dying wish is to see her story told so i said i'm freelancing i'm quite happy to do that so i went to liverpool to meet lily gainer lily gainer's a nurse and midwife and she has an incredible testimony she went in the 1950s from Liverpool by ship to Guinea-Bissau in West Africa where she felt called to help the Papel tribe, a tribe who'd never seen a white person, whose language had never been written down, who'd never heard the Christian story. Lily, as a nurse and midwife, got there and realised health was a huge problem so she set up a table under the mango trees every morning had 200 patients she had medical equipment and medical um, tablets with her to help then in the afternoon she went to the villages where she came up against the witch doctors and then in the evening turned their verbal language for the first time ever into a written language and then translated the new testament she did 36 years in Guinea-Bissau. She's now back in Liverpool. She's 94 now, still living on her own. Wow. And I spoke to her the other week. She looked back on a very fulfilled life. Where she set up the table under the mango tree, there's now a proper hospital. They've now got the sure. Bible and literature in their own language. 
and they've also got the largest indigenous church in West Africa. Who says that one lady can't transform a nation? She did that, and it was all due to penicillin, because she, the Papel knew the witch doctor's potion didn't work, but they knew whether they had fever, snake bite, or whatever, that penicillin did. So whenever they came up to Lily Gaynor, they said to her, Guju, Guju, Christu, give us God's needle, give us penicillin. Hence the title of the books, God's Needle. The, I mean, an incredible story. So much that I want to draw out of it. One is actually just a link to my own my own past. I love history. I'm passionate about mm. history. I was the historian for the Baptist Union of Southern Africa for a while. I was the archivist. Um, and one of the stories that I came across was also uh, of a lady, also of a lady who went up uh, into north north of us into Africa. She actually went to Zambia. Mm. Um, her name was Olive Doak, and she was involved. She actually, and this is a connection to you. Uh, she received. A an MBE uh, for for her work and uh, her MBE is actually in the archives of the Baptist Union and uh, I actually had it at my house for a while because uh, I was uh, filming. You didn't um, wear it. I, I, no, 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 no. Well, actually, it, uh, it was the um, the big certificate oh, uh, yeah. with the Queen's signature at yes. the bottom. Um, where, where I'm going with and and I've subsequently been to Zambia in order to track down. Uh, I was invited by the Historical mm. Society of mm. Zambia mm. Uh, mm. to come and speak at an event and to pass on some of um, the memorabilia that we had that she had brought back to South Africa um, with her. The point that I'm trying to make though is that uh, what an amazing impact this woman had on the churches uh, in Zambia. She worked and um, uh, we're talking uh, talking about leprosy uh, either uh, a little bit later, I think. Yes. Um, But she she worked with a a particular man, um, uh, Paul, uh, he was a leper, uh, wheelchair bound, mm. um, but she um, was very involved in discipling him. Uh, he became a preacher, uh, a, a pastor of God's word, um, and she handed over the ministry uh, to him. Uh, and just incredible what single individuals can do uh, in the lives of entire nations, uh, in the lives of entire tribes. Um, God really does use God's people to yes. achieve God's will. Uh, uh, this is a fascinating story, um, how God use med- uses medical me- ministry yes. and medical missions uh, to his praise and glory. Have you time for two funny stories? Tell me two funny stories. Yes. We have time. <laughs> right. Just to show you the impact that she had medically she did so much good and as a midwife she delivered babies in the middle of maize fields in uh, huts in the middle of nowhere but just to show you the problem she had with the papel people who had a complete lack of human biology and one day she went to tell a husband she said congratulations you're the father of twins he went wild he demanded of his wife who's fathered the other baby (laughs) he ranted and raved because they believed that a husband can only father one child and he had a huge problem and sadly um in Guinea-Bissau in the old days if people had twins the witch doctors would be called in and the witch doctor would be decide which baby would live and which was the spirit baby that wouldn't be allowed to live and be left to die. Fortunately in this case Lily taught him a bit of biology and he uh, became a great father and he was delighted but he needed a basic biology lesson to understand that. Wow I mean just <laughs> incredible stories uh, of uh, 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 in terms of uh, medicine. 
while, while you recover, John, and uh, and have a cough, um, may, maybe also the the this the story does also highlight uh, a common theme uh, in terms of our discussion. You using your background in journalism mm. uh, for the sake of Christ, um, Lily uh, using her background in terms of medicine for the sake of Christ, um, how God takes us where he finds us and uses us to his praise and glory. Definitely. Um, which means anybody listening in uh, to this conversation and to these stories, um, right now, best use of time is to investigate what kinds of gifts and talents God has given us uh, that we can use to his praise and glory. And just to highlight, Lily was used to translate the New Testament and to show you the problems of how it is different in a cultural context. And I didn't realize all the problems of translating the New Testament, but Lily came across them. Two quick stories. One, of course, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In Papels, they've never seen bread. They don't know what bread is. So they had to translate it as Jesus saying, I am the cooked rice of life. And when... Uh, Lily came to 1 Timothy chapter 3 there uh, the passage about an elder should be the husband of only one wife and Lily noticed that the typesetter in England had missed out the word only so she sent the proofs back to England and put the word Sue S-O-O which is propelled for only in the margin and gave it back to the typesetter in England when it came back to Guinea-Bissau she thought you'd better just check the final proofs one final time before the New Testament was published it was a good job because one embarrassing error nearly got through because the typesetter in England had read Sue S-O-O as 500 so the version of Papel of 1 Timothy 3 now said a husband an elder should be the husband of 501 wives <laughs> fortunately that was stopped at the last minute <laughs> I mean, it does highlight the complexities of Bible mm. translation. Yeah. We we actually spoke about Bible translation last week or the week before, uh, and we're talking about just the complexities of going from Greek into English. Y- you've highlighted two realities. Yeah. The one, mm. the one is um, kind of the the use of local languages and yes. and moving uh, I- idioms or metaphors mm. from mm. one language to another can sometimes be an incredibly yeah. complex process. Yeah. You know, if you're talking about bread in Greek and you've yes. got no yeah. word for bread yes. uh, in Basar, uh, mm. you need to make a plan yes. um, uh, for that moment anyway. A uh, hundred years later, I'm sure, you know, every mm. every uh, greengrocer uh, mm. uh, uh, the, at the corner stand is making bread and yeah. uh, and people have access to bread and so, you know, yes. maybe time for a, a, a second uh, a second edition uh, of, uh, of, uh, of the Bible translation. Uh, but the other is, is just, you know, type errors and uh, and issues that can creep in uh, uh, yeah great great story um, yeah uh, you know we've got we have got some time John uh, I'd be interested in in other in other like wonderful opportunities yes. that you've had uh, I, I can remember um, before we were talking about uh, travels that you've made yeah. um, places that you've gone to um, uh, maybe you want to just yes, talk about some of that everything I believe is for a purpose and I stayed with David and Beryl Hawker when I was a young journalist as you call Doctors Home from Nepal 
and they stayed for a year in England, back from Nepal for do some more training, see friends and family, before they and their three children under seven went back to Nepal. Their last words to me were, would you look after the house and find five male students so the mortgage is paid to our rental, which I did. And the second one was, you must come out and see us sometime. Thought that would never happen. I didn't even know where Nepal was until I'd met them. I hadn't been past Switzerland. But it was an interesting story because it ended up with eight of us taking in Plymouth, raising money for a Land Rover, and we drove it overland to Nepal, across Europe, then through Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, and then into Nepal to give it to David and Beryl's leprosy hospital in a place called Pokhara in Nepal. They needed a um, Land Rover because Nepal is one of the ten poorest countries in the world then, had very poor roads. And leprosy is very easy and cheap to cure as long as you can get the drugs to the people and to get the people to continue taking the drugs after they started getting better. So the Land Rover was needed. And that, again, transformed our life. It gave us a view of world geography, world history and world religions. Interestingly... Of the um, one, two, three, four, five males and three ladies on the trip, four out of the five males came back, gave up their jobs as a Royal Marine or a town planner or a teacher, and they all became vicars in the Church of England. Wow. It transformed their lives and mine. I oh. became a preacher, but not quite a vicar. Well, we'll get to that shortly. Um, I just went and looked up Nepal. I mean, the mm. the the percentage of Christians in the country is is one point four percent. So, yes. tiny, tiny minority group um, of Christians in Nepal. Uh, you guys take this Land Rover mm. across the country and it so transforms the lives of the yes. people that are on this short-term mission uh, that a number go into ministry and and maybe parents that are listening in don't underestimate the power of getting your children involved in short-term mission trips mm. uh, the the power of God to use that even to transform lives um, and to create opportunities for the future I just think of uh, even the church that I serve uh, you know in the year coming up there's short-term mission trips for mm. teenagers there's short-term mission trips for young adults uh, and there's a short-term mission trip uh, uh, that has been undertaken by one of the members of the church he's heading to Mozambique to go and distribute 30,000 uh, copies of Christian literature uh, maybe just to encourage you uh, reach out to your mm. local church speak mm. to your local church pastor and find out what is going on in the church uh, there might be opportunities uh, to get either your children your young adults who might uh, need a uh, some time in between studies um, and and are looking at spending that well uh, get opportunities to go and see foreign lands and to take Christian literature or, or goods with them um, often opens up great opportunities uh, for yeah. the rest of life. Have you time for one more story? I've got time for one Good. more story. <laughs> one other book I did was very interesting that after I came back from the Land Rover trip um, that was published by a small publisher it was called Bruce's Baby because Bruce jokingly said it was more important to get the Land Rover to Nepal ahead of his wife it became a standing <laughs> joke so that was a fun story of our trip 
and the publisher in Worthing in Sussex contacted me a year or two later after that book was published and said I've got a manuscript from a lady but I don't think we can publish it would you like to turn it into a manuscript and I turned it into a manuscript I went to meet a lady called Mabel Broadbridge in Southampton Mabel Broadbridge in was told she wanted to felt God was calling her to go abroad and she applied to missionary societies and they said she was too old because she was now 40 mm. so she was too old to go so she didn't give up she then set off from Southampton to go by ship to Shanghai where she didn't speak Mandarin and she hardly knew anybody but she started a Bible class teaching English by reading the Bible to teenagers and she had a very interesting time in Shanghai firstly she was there when the Japanese invaded and took Shanghai and she was then carted off to a prisoner of war camp for three years she came back carried on her work and then the communists took charge in 1948-49 and she was interrogated every day why are you here what are you doing are you a spy but an elderly lady stood her ground and um, she survived that then eventually she came back to Britain because she had diabetes and wasn't very well she wore slippers she was a missionary who wore slippers because her feet hurt and then in her 60s went to Hong Kong to start a new work of teaching English through the Bible and the interesting part of that story I did produce the book called uh, Too Old at Four question mark Mabel Broadbridge and a few years later quite interestingly when I was invited out as I mentioned earlier on the first ever exchange in 1986 to go to China the journey finished at Shanghai and I went on the Bund the waterfront at Shanghai while I was doing my journalism uh, exchange over there and looked out to sea and thought what it must have been like for Mabel as a young single lady to turn up with the heaving millions of people all round hardly knowing anybody and I gave thanks for a life and I was so pleased I was able to make it to see Shanghai having written about her story in the book oh, praise the Lord for people who pursue God's dream mm. to reach out mm. to the nations uh, mm. just uh, what, what a what a life well spent yes well spent uh, we've spoken this morning about Mabel we've spoken about <laughs> Lily we've spoken about Olive Doak yeah. um, there, there's a bit of a trend developing yes. here in terms of the way that God uses ladies particularly in, mm. in the area of missions mm. that's yeah. what we've been speaking about um, praise God for the way that he uses people mm. um, for the extension of his kingdom uh, and maybe even to extend beyond that and and to um, uh, again reiterate um, uh, the, this idea of God using Mabel even at the age of 40 uh, yes. and beyond uh, yeah. I mean just yeah. God uses us <laughs> wherever he finds yes. us whether yes. that be age uh, all of those things almost become inconsequential to him he, he uses willing vessels um, where he finds them you um, might have retired from work but you haven't retired from God's service oh, praise the Lord mm. yes love that uh, mm. and I'm sure that will resonate with a number of people who are listening in uh, this morning 
John, uh, you know, maybe just uh, some brief comments to uh, somebody who might be listening that's interested in writing and interested in maybe capturing uh, the stories of believers and the stories of the testimonies of believers. Where does one start in terms of of getting involved Mm. in, in, in finding these kinds of stories? And where does one get involved in terms of recording well these kinds of stories? Yes, I I think the journalism has transformed in my lifetime. When I started journalism, Caxton, who developed the printing press, that would be, he would feel at home seeing it. Now it's changed very much onto the internet and it's been a revolution. So the printed word is harder now. A lot is done on the internet. I, I think two things. I think if a story interests you, I think it will interest other people and that would be the first thing I would say if you feel that you've met somebody who's interesting it's well worth interviewing them recording them and then seeing whether their story just is worth a book the problem with writing today is that the publishers get so many manuscripts every week and it's got to be stand out to really make it to the printing press but also It is relatively easy to write the book. It is the much harder of the selling and the marketing. And that is the real challenge. You really do need to use new media and to go out. uh, Because nowadays there aren't so many Christian bookshops around. There's a lot of marketing yourself. I did it by giving talks and speaking in churches. And that's possibly the way forward. Mm. Fascinating, and and maybe just to just to add to listeners, um, there's a couple of stories that probably need to be told that you have easy access to. Uh, the story of your church, uh, the history of your church, um, often is something which needs to be recorded whilst it's still in living memory. Yes, <laughs> the church definitely. I attend is 130 <clears throat> years old, and if it yep. wasn't for the fact that some of that history has been recorded by 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 folk, mm. um, you know, we we wouldn't be able to remember back very far. Um, and then the 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 story story of of those folk who return from the mission field yes. uh, if you're in a local mm. church and you've got um, um, missionaries that have returned from the mission field or, or missionaries that are in South Africa on furlough uh, from the mission field uh, or even the story of your local pastor um, <clears throat> how he came into ministry what ministry looks yes. like these are stories that that are well worth recording um, and keeping. Uh, they don't have to be in long form in yeah. terms of a book. They can be in short form yes. um, and accessible, made accessible for future generations um, and so that they can be used and be an encouragement to other believers, especially, let me say, the story of our missionaries. Missionaries are the superheroes uh, of the local church. They really do need to be recognized, upheld, and celebrated. The only way we can celebrate them is if we know these stories and so if you're listening in on this and you've enjoyed the stories that John has been able to tell us and by the way John's got a thousand ten thousand more stories that he could tell um, but part of of having so many stories and being so interesting is that you've had exposure to so many stories and so uh, yeah just encourage listeners that uh, might be listening in to give some thought to maybe recording uh, the story of the missionaries that your church supports um, and you can do that by approaching your church pastor and saying who are the missionaries on our notice board can I have their contact details reach out to them and begin 
uh, engaging with them that would be a great place to start as we've been talking John a number of people have been uh, engaging in uh, amongst that is Neil Hunter uh, Neil has just been posting um, the needle how uh, God's needle how Lily um, uh, uh, let me get it. Um, how Lily Gaynor brought hope and healing to the land of witch doctors. Uh, yes, you have got the correct uh, title and the correct book on Amazon. Uh, Neil, um, I also had uh, conversations from Zakele, uh, as well as a number of other people uh, who were just commenting and enjoying the stories that you're able to tell mm-hmm. us um, and these testimonies of believers um, all over the world, John. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's really been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed coming and speaking. Thank you. I want to give you one last opportunity as we uh, just before we sign off. Um, is there anything that you would like to convey, anything specifically that you would like to convey to the listener audience this morning? I think just to finish off on how we can help, one particular way in the book that just come out that somebody else wrote is that if you know somebody who's got some experience in writing, you've got an idea, why not send them the manuscript and your ideas and get their advice? I've suddenly thought while I was speaking, a South African man who is a pilot with Mission Aviation Fellowship and his wife Liz, we've become very good friends with them and I encourage Liz to write the story of her life and her husband and their young children who have been flying aid with Mission Aviation Fellowship all around Southern Africa. They've worked in uh, Uganda, in Kenya, in Tanzania and then in South Sudan and they had a very dramatic escape because the rebels were coming onto their compound and Andrew had to take an MAF plane out and fly his wife, their three children under seven at the time and other western workers out as the rebels closed in on them and they just made it over the border into Kenya and I encouraged Liz to write that book I gave her some help and advice looked at the manuscript but she wrote a very good story and that was published by 10ofthose.com which is a European and an American publishing company so the, the thought is if you've got an idea do seek advice and see if other people can help you and to achieve that because there is a good way to get publication but use the people who've got the experience of written books and see how they can help you i love it thank you so much uh, listeners as you listened in uh, this morning I hope that there are a number of applications that you can make through the course of the morning. Uh, I think of the first discussion with 4SA um, and the very real need that we have as the church to stand up and make submissions at this time regarding the future um, health policies, framework, regulations and rules that are going to be put in place. Um, And we have a limited time before the 15th of April uh, to make comment on those. We'd encourage you to reach 
chat if you're a pastor uh, encourage your church uh, to make submissions if you are a member of a church um, do make submissions and also make your pastor aware of what's going on so that uh, he understands as well the podcast for that will come out in the next uh, two hours or so uh, you can look out for that wherever you get your good podcasts you can search for table talk with mark and subscribe i uh, would really appreciate that i do want to say thank you to everyone who's dropped comments as we've been speaking uh thank you for the question toriso uh zakele i will speak to you offline brother um lani i will be engaging with you offline um as well um i also want to highlight from the second part of the show just uh, in terms of uh, john's conversations both on recording history and recording the history of uh, those who have um, stories within our local churches and the importance of that um, as well as uh, this conversation of God using us where he has placed us to his praise and glory. Friends, each week our prayers go out to all the elders and the deacons who hold lines in local churches as well as for our missionaries who serve in foreign fields. Our prayers for and much respect goes out each week to first responders, our police, our defense force and for all those who dispense justice in our country as long with firefighters paramedics our nation's nurses as well as medical personnel and correctional facility officers you've been listening to table talk with me your host mark we're going to be going to news at the top of the hour until next week friday walk wisely live lo- live holy and testify zealously we'll be listening to seller singing Bless the broken road uh, as we sign out. God bless you this morning.